0: Thank you so much, production team, band. Alex, I did not know you could look so sharp. Doesn't he clean up nice? Wow. And Jason, I miss your energy. Stay blessed, brother. Happy Easter to everybody out there. It's Easter Sunday morning. The sun is shining. We're so excited to have you with us here at the facility of Faith Baptist Church, uh, following us online. Thank you so much for tuning in. You know, I don't think there's ever been a time in history where the entire world is so united against a common named enemy. Do you realize that? I don't think there's ever been a time where people have been holding their breath, waiting for hope and for purpose and for calling and for an answer to the situation that we're in. And here's the beautiful part. I don't know that there's ever been a time where the answer of hope that we have has been so easily accessible from anywhere in the world. Do you realize that? This is a unique Easter Sunday. This is a different Easter Sunday. But I believe God is going to work this Easter Sunday. I believe that people are going to receive the gospel this Easter Sunday. We have the message of hope. We are victorious through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here to celebrate this morning on this Resurrection Easter Sunday 2020. You know, we're starting a brand new series called The Skeptic in All of Us. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you would grab your Bibles, I hope you have your Bible with you, pull it out, turn to Paul's epistle to the Corinthians in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul the Apostle is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. He spent about 18 months at the church in Corinth. He was followed by Apollos and then by the Apostle Peter. The reason that Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church was to address a number of issues. They were arguing about all kinds of stuff. I thank God for a unified church, a church where we just enjoy such harmony and community together. This church was really struggling with harmony and unity. They were fighting and arguing about sex. They were arguing about food offered to idols. They were arguing about what they did when they got together in meetings because they just spent the whole time arguing. But the biggest argument and the biggest issue they had, according to Paul, Paul addresses this one the most, with the most emotion, the most angst, is that they were questioning the resurrection and life after death. You know, it had been 25 years since Jesus rose from the dead. A whole generation had passed on. And people were questioning here at the church in Corinth, did it really happen? Is it just a legend? Is it just a story that I heard when I was a kid? Is this really true? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And what does that mean for me today? You know, it's, it's such a temptation for us today just to turn church into this moral ethics seminar. You know, we remove all of the spiritual elements and we just focus on our life here and now. Like a life coach. Just give me some good tips for living my best life now. Just tell me how to act and think and talk so I can make it through this situation now. Just remove all of the spiritual kind of mysterious elements that we don't really understand and just focus on right here, right now. How should we act How should we think? Why are we so focused on life after death? That's a temptation today, isn't it? Well, we're starting this new series called The Skeptic in All of Us. There is a little skeptic in all of us. Do you realize that? We all have questions. We all have doubts. We all have fears and anxieties. So over the next five weeks, we want to answer some big questions that people were asking back then and that people are still asking today. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Or is Easter just about a bunny and chocolate eggs? Was Jesus really a man and God at the same time? Or was he just a good prophet? Does Jesus really need me? Does Jesus really change me? Does he transform me? These are big questions that people are asking today. There's a little skeptic in all of us. You know, today on this very unique Easter Sunday, I want to tackle the question Did Jesus really rise from the dead? What does that mean for me today? Does that change the way that I live today? The fact that Jesus truly rose from the dead. You know, if if you're just joining us simply because it's Easter, and that's what you've always done. You've come to church at Christmas, Easter, maybe with family, parents, grandparents, kids. I want to encourage you to stick through this message. We're going to give three evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that it actually happened from 1 Corinthians 15. You know, maybe you're here today because you're searching for that nostalgic, traditional experience of family and community and the festive times of the season. Maybe you're missing that in a time of social distancing. You feel separated. You're looking for something to take you back to what would normally happen on an Easter weekend. So you're here tuning in. I'd encourage you to stick around and listen for the duration of this message. Listen to these three evidence as to why we truly believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead and how it changes the way that you live today. And you know what? Because it's Easter, we're going to do things a little bit differently. I know that you've been cooped up in your house. Thank you for practicing social distancing. Thank you for not going out unless it's for essential errands only or if you're an essential worker, if you're a frontline worker. Thank you so much for your ministry in these times. But I want to get you out of the house today. It's a beautiful day, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to two different locations. and We're going to see the sunrise from two different locations. And there are spots that mean a lot to me and to my family, And they're right here in the community. I didn't have to travel far. I practiced social distancing. We're out here in the country. It's a rural community. There were no people around for miles. I want you to know that. So would you join me as we take a little trip? Before we do that, I'd like to pray to start this message off focused on God and what he would have us to hear this morning on this Easter Sunday. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to praise you so much for who you are this morning. Thank you for all your grace and your kindness and your love towards us. Thank you so much that on this Easter Sunday we get to rejoice and celebrate and remember the fact that Jesus is alive today. We serve a risen Savior. The reason we're so different from another religion that you could name out there is because we serve a risen Savior. He's not dead. He is alive. He's not in the tomb. He's seated in heaven. He's living to make intercession for us and serving as our advocate, our Savior, our Redeemer. God, we thank you so much for Jesus, for his life over the grave, for his victory over death. God, we claim that victory today, and we thank you for the new and abundant life that we have found in Jesus Christ. We thank you for this Easter Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the beach. Did you know that Nova Scotia is Canada's ocean playground? It says that on the license plate, right? We have beautiful coastlines, some salty cold water, but a day at the beach, isn't that what summer memories are made of? My family has always loved the beach. I mean, the warm sand, the sun, swimming, laughter. I mean, those are great things. We're looking forward to summer. I hope you are too. You know, one of the things the locals have to deal with here in Nova Scotia, especially on waterfront property, is erosion. When that tide comes in, those big breakers off of the ocean, they tend to drag some of that sandy soil out with them. So one of the things people have to do is to hire heavy equipment to bring in these big boulders to support the shoreline. There's some right here beside me. So that when the storm When the tide comes in, those rocks help to support the bank, instead of having it wash away. You know, Jesus spent a lot of His ministry at the beach. He recruited some of His disciples from the beach. He did a lot of teaching on the beach. He lived next to a beach. The disciples spent a lot of their lives on a beach. I think of Jesus' parable about the wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the wind and the rain, the waves came, the flood rose up, the house stood firm because the wise man had dug down and founded it on the bedrock. And then I think about the foolish man who thought, life is a beach, you know, let's just have fun. He built his house on a foundation of sand and when the storm came, when the tough times came, his house washed away. I want to picture this image of standing on the rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is that a solid bedrock foundation for our faith? So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll start in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brethren, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and are being saved by it, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Look, you want a solid foundation in a time when it feels like the sand is just being washed out from underneath you? You need to hear the gospel. You need to believe the gospel. You need to receive it. You need to stand in it because all other ground is sinking sand. It's the only thing by which man must be saved. The name of Jesus Christ. The fact that he rose from the dead. You know, I get this picture out here on the water of a shipwreck and the sailors are grabbing for whatever they can to try and keep them afloat. Maybe you've tried clinging to a number of different things that you thought would keep you afloat in life. But when you find that thing that you can build your life on, you never let go. Jesus Christ, his resurrection, is not just a life-saving device in times of storm, but it's especially for the storm. We're to build our whole lives on Christ, who is the cornerstone of the church. And then Paul says, unless you believed in vain. That term, vain, is the Greek adverb, I-K, which means pointless, purposeless, without cause, without reason. Listen to this definition. With no grounds to stand on. Doesn't that sound like the shifting sand that the fool built his house on? Paul kind of humors them in their skepticism about whether or not Jesus really rose from the dead, whether or not there was life after death. If there's no life after death, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then our faith is pointless, it's hopeless, there's no reason, there's no grounds to stand on. So while we're here at the beach, I wanna give you two evidence as to why Jesus really and truly rose from the dead, why he resurrected that early Easter Sunday morning, that very first Easter. Not just spiritually as an apparition or something, but physically, he actually rose from the dead. The first piece of evidence that we're going to look at today is Scripture. Maybe in a court of law, this would be referred to as document evidence. The fact that the events were recorded and written down as they transpired. And we have several documents pointing to the resurrection. I just want to look at a few of them. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. There are so many scriptures that point to the resurrection, written hundreds of years before the resurrection took place. I just want to list a few for you. Hosea 6.2, on the third day, he will restore. I think about uh, the prophet Jonah. Jesus points to Jonah being in the belly of the great fish three days. And then he says, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days. He points to the resurrection, his burial, for only three days. Psalm 16, verses 9 and 10, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. The apostles reference this in Acts chapter 2 as pointing to the resurrection. Psalm 22 talks about his death, and then later it talks about his praise afterwards. You have Psalm 40, he brought me out of the pit, he set my feet on the rock. I love that picture. Psalm 110, God invites Jesus to sit at his right hand after the resurrection. Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Isaiah 53, you remember that passage. He takes our shame. He takes our guilt. He takes our trespasses. By his stripes, we are healed. But then it says, he will prolong his days. Even after all that suffering and death, his days will be prolonged. Points to the resurrection. Genesis 3.15 The pro-evangelium, the first mention of the gospel in very simplistic form. He will have victory over Satan, and Satan will be the one defeated by death. Then you have Job 19. Listen to this. I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand. There are so many more references that we could look at, but just those few as the sun is rising here on the beach. When you have an ancient document, a well-known historical transcribed document, there would be copies in abundance, uh, Jewish tradition, they would memorize this by the age of 12, the Torah. When you have something so well-known and so well dispersed, all of this document evidence pointing to the resurrection, decades, centuries, millennia before the resurrection actually takes place, And then the resurrection does take place? Well, it's document evidence pointing to the validity of the resurrection. And then the second piece of evidence that I want to point to is eyewitness testimony. Statements from witnesses is probably the simplest form of evidence in a court of law. And we have many recorded statements from witnesses. We're just going to look at a few. So look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 5. And that he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. You know, Cephas is the term for rock. Uh, It's a nickname that's not only given to Dwayne Johnson, but it's also given to the disciple Simon Peter. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church, Jesus being the chief cornerstone, and the Apostles being the one to begin the work of the church. Do you know early on that first Easter Sunday morning when the women return from the tomb to give the news to the disciples who were staying in a place in Jerusalem that the body of Jesus was gone. Somebody has taken it. Peter and John just start running for the tomb. The sunrise was probably shining on their face as it's shining on mine now. John runs on ahead. He gets to the door of the tomb. He stoops and he looks down inside. When Peter arrives at the tomb, he runs straight in. He looks, he sees the cloth that was on Jesus' face placed in one spot, and then he sees the grave clothes that were around Jesus' body placed in another spot. The two of them return to the place where the disciples are staying, and that night, even though the door was shut and locked, Jesus shows up in the room with the disciples. They see his scars, and they believe that he is risen but the disciple Thomas isn't there. A few days later, Thomas returns, and the disciples tell him the Christ is risen. And you want to talk about skepticism, there's a little skeptic in all of us. Thomas's response is, unless I can see the scars, place my finger in the prints in his hands, my hand in the spear print in his side, I will never believe. Have you ever had conversation with somebody who responds with that? I will never believe. Look, unless God gives me a clear, tangible sign that I can see, smell, touch, taste, feel, I will never believe. Well, guess what? Eight days after the resurrection, Jesus returns to the disciples in the place where they are staying. Thomas is there. Thomas gets to see his scars, put his finger in the nail prints, and his hand in his side. And Thomas, the skeptic, doubting Thomas, his response is, My Lord and my God. You see, because of the power of the resurrection, God took skeptics and turned them into people of faith. The disciples are so emotionally disoriented, they don't know what to do. They need to get back to some semblance of normal. So they decide to go back to the beach. And they get their fishing boat, they head out on the Sea of Tiberias, and they fish all night long. And you know what they catch? (laughs) Nothing. You know, chalk it up to the first day back on job after three years traveling with Jesus. But then there's a voice from shore and somebody's shouting, Do you have any fish?" They have to respond with, No. I I don't know if they shouted back, Look, it's our first day. We haven't done this for three years. But then the person on the beach shouts to them, Try the net on the other side, which is ridiculous. But they throw the net on the other side, and they catch 153 fish in that single act. John turns to Peter. He figures it out right away. Peter, this is the Christ. Peter jumps off the boat, dives into the water, and starts swimming for shore. When he arrives at the beach, Jesus has a fire, and he's cooking fish for breakfast. And they begin this conversation, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? You know, I think Jesus was referring to the fish. I think he was referring to fishing. I think he was referring to the beach. I think he was referring to the boat. I think he was referring to Peter's hometown. I think he was referring to the profession that Peter had grown up knowing his whole life. The nostalgia, the comfort, the tradition. And Peter was at a point in his journey where he had to decide, Am I going to give all of this up for the resurrection of Jesus? Am I going to give up my comfort? Am I going to give up life as I've known it? Am I going to start traveling and telling people the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do I truly believe this enough to go all in with my whole life and make a personal decision to turn it all over to Jesus because He rose from the dead? You know what? I'm happy to report that every one of those disciples made that decision. Each one of them were willing to give their lives, and most of them gave their entire lives to spreading the message of the truth of the resurrection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some died on crosses. Some were speared. Some were burned. Some were stoned. John was exiled to an island where he spent the rest of his life. Think about this, if those men somehow fooled everybody, medicated Jesus before he went to the cross, stole his body out of the tomb, and spread a lie, whatever the conspiracy theory is out there, why would each one be willing to die for a lie? They gave their lives because they believed the truth of the resurrection, the fact that The Son of God rose from the dead. Welcome to the mountain. That's what my family has always called it. My father has told me stories with my uncles, grandfather, great-grandfather, being up here hunting, fishing, camping, snowmobiling, great memories. My family has always loved sledding, in particular, up here on the mountain. My grandfather built this massive sled. It was a big sheet of Teflon with two steel rails. We've had way too many people on that thing going down the hill way too many times to be alive to talk about it. But here we are today. You know, Jesus spent a lot of his ministry on a mountain. He camped on the mountain with his disciples He taught from the mountain. He healed from the mountain. He fed crowds from the mountain. He transfigured on the mountain and showed them a glimpse of his glory. He was crucified on the Mount Golgotha or Calvary. And then he ascended into heaven after the resurrection on the Mount of Olives. You know, something about the mountain is perspective. It always gives you perspective, doesn't it? You know, they say if you're lost in the woods, you should climb the tallest tree to get some perspective of where you might be. You know, from up here on the mountain, I can see over to Folly. I can see down to the bay. I can see to Mastown, I can see over to Truro. The mountain gives you perspective. I know what's true in my life and probably true in your life as well is when you look over your life, you tend to focus on the mountaintops and the shadows of the valley. The pits and the peaks, the low points in your life and the high points. You see, science tells us in our brain that adrenaline, excitement, uh, endorphins, they act as these natural bookmarks in our memory. When we get excited, when we get scared, we tend to remember those events vividly from our past. We're talking about eyewitness testimony, and something these eyewitnesses would have totally remembered was the resurrected Christ, the excitement, the fear, the confusion. So we're on a mountaintop with Jesus and a large crowd of people, and we're continuing with our evidence of eyewitness testimony. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 6. It says this, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then he appeared to all the apostles. You know, when the women arrived at the tomb early that Easter Sunday morning, Jesus told them, I go before you. Tell the brothers, tell the followers, tell the crowds that I'm going to be in Galilee. Tell them to gather at the mountain. Well, then 500 people gather and see Jesus standing on the mountain. The Bible says some believed and worshipped. Some just fell to their knees right there and worshipped the risen Christ. But there were some who were still skeptical. Maybe like Doubting Thomas, they had to see the scars up close and touch them. Now the testimony of 12 men who are willing to give their lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that he died, was buried, and rose from the grave physically... That's compelling that they'd be willing to give their lives for the message of the resurrection. But 500 eyewitnesses at one time. I mean, when have you ever heard a testimony from 500 people? that you couldn't believe actually happened? How many testimonies, how many witnesses do we need to the resurrected Christ? Here we have 500 at one time. You know, we tend to focus on the 12 official disciples of Jesus, but Jesus had huge crowds of people that would follow him. We were just down at the beach. Jesus was speaking one time at the beach. He was teaching There were so many people pressing in against him on the beach that he got into a boat and went out on the water, maybe so that his voice would carry across the water, maybe for his own protection, maybe so the people would line up on the beach like a natural amphitheater. There was one time he was teaching up on the mountain for three days, and it says there was a crowd assembled to him of 4,000 people, and he fed them. He and the disciples fed 4,000 Previously, they had fed 5,000 people. When he teaches the Beatitudes, and he gives the sermon on the mount, up on the mountain with a large crowd of people, Jesus had crowds of people. The Bible calls them multitudes of people that followed him. They may not have been the close 12 disciples that were with him for those three years of ministry, but Jesus had crowds and crowds of followers Here we have 500 people seeing Jesus on the mountain after he rises from the dead. How do you fool 500 people who are followers of Jesus, who are well acquainted with his teachings, his miracles, how he cares for people, how he looks, how he sounds, what he wears? How can you fool 500 people who know Jesus and have followed him for years? Paul says many of them are still alive. He's talking to the Corinthian church and he says, Look, you don't believe me? That's fine. Go talk to the people who are still alive, who are in that crowd, who saw the resurrected Jesus standing. Forty days after the resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives. They watched him ascend. He gave them the mission. He gave them the great commission before he left. Go into all the world and make disciples. You don't believe in the validity of the resurrection? Ask the tens, the hundreds, the thousands. Today, the millions of people who have seen the resurrected Jesus work in their own lives. We're going to talk about the third piece of evidence that I want to point out this Easter Sunday. The third piece of evidence. You know what makes the mountain so magnificent? Is the change in elevation. You go from the valley all the way up to the peak. You go from the bottom to the top and there's this incredibly drastic change in the landscape. The third piece of evidence I want to look at is life change. The fact that lives are changed by the power of the resurrection. Maybe that's going to be your life today. Your life needs to be changed. In a court of law, this would be called demonstrative evidence. The fact that the power of the resurrection can change lives. Demonstrative evidence. And for this, Paul points to his own story. And if you know anything about the life story of Paul, you can see what convincing argument that this would be. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 8. Paul says this, Last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am What I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Paul points to the power of the resurrection to change lives in his own life story. You see, Paul was one of the most aggressive, most intellectual, most Hellenistic, most religious, most zealous enemy the church had ever seen to that point. He got permission from the rulers and authorities, signed letters to go into towns, find the Christians, pull them from their homes, pull them from their families, have them stoned, have them executed, have them thrown into prison. He was holding the jackets of the executioners who killed Stephen, the first martyr for his faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Paul was a bad dude. He was on one of his trips to kill and to imprison more Christians. He's on the road to Damascus, and Jesus shows up and changes everything. He's blinded by the light of Christ, the light of the world for three days and his life is totally changed he goes from attacking the church to building the church he goes from threatening the gospel to transmitting the gospel everywhere he went he was telling the story of the resurrected christ god took the most aggressive the most zealous enemy ...of the church and flipped him on his head. His life did a 180 degree turnaround. He repented from being an enemy of the church... ...and he gave his entire life to the building and founding of the church. He spread the gospel throughout Asia, all the way up to Rome. He was telling everybody. He planted so many churches. You know, Paul was beaten with rods for the sake of the gospel... Paul was stoned and left for dead because he was telling people about the resurrected Jesus. Paul was let down from a city wall in a basket so that his life might be saved. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was bitten by a poisonous snake. He was imprisoned time and time again. He was persecuted for his faith. He was stopped by a witch in the middle of a city and told to get out. And then Paul says this in the second letter to the Corinthians, these same people that he's writing to who are skeptical about the resurrection. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul says this, For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." You want proof of the resurrection? Look at the changed life of the Apostle Paul. It wasn't just a change in a moment that lasted for a weekend. He pursued the gates of heaven with that same faithful fervency in the resurrected Jesus Christ. He never stopped running until the end. He couldn't be stopped. That's the power of the resurrection. King Jesus over his kingdom, advancing his kingdom against the gates of hell. Nothing can stop the power of the risen Christ. Maybe that's kind of like your story. Maybe God has taken your life and has flipped it around. Maybe you went from atheist and now you're believing in Jesus Christ as the purpose and the foundation, the cornerstone of your life. Maybe you went from jealousy and envy to compassion and generosity. Maybe you went from cursing people out to blessing and encouraging people. We look at the changed lives in our church. We look at the changed lives around the world. And we say Jesus Christ has truly risen from the dead because the power of his resurrection has changed countless lives throughout history and will continue to change lives because of the never-changing, unstopping love of God through Christ Jesus, the abundant life he gives because of the resurrection. Still skeptical about the resurrection? whether or not Jesus truly rose from the dead. We have ancient document evidence pointing to the resurrection over thousands of years. We have countless eyewitness testimonies pointing to the fact that Jesus truly rose from the dead. And today we can see so many lives that have been drastically changed because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Welcome back to our church facility here on this Easter Sunday. We are live this morning celebrating Easter with you. So we've talked about the Easter story. We've talked about the characters, the timeline, the emotion, all the people involved, But now what we want to end with is, what's the point? So what? What's the reason behind all of this? Why for the last 2,000 years have we remembered and recounted this story time and time again every Easter since? What does it mean to me? That's probably what you're wondering this morning. What does the resurrection have to do with us? You know, Paul talks about the flip side. He reverses the conversation. He kind of steps into their skepticism and speaks to it for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19, it says this. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Here's what you need to understand. Our hope is a future hope. In Jesus Christ, our perspective is set on eternity. We understand that this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. We are already citizens of the next. So if there is no life after death, is there, if there is no heaven to come, then we are of all people the most sad if there is no resurrection from the dead. You know, the question that Paul asks kind of inadvertently and indirectly is, what other hope do you have? If not for Jesus, what other hope do you have? What are you trusting in today? What are you placing your faith and trust and hope in today? You might say, you know, I'm not a person of faith. I've never considered myself to be a person of faith. Well, let me tell you this. I know this for a fact. Every single person is exercising some level of faith in something or someone right now, this very minute. You know, it could be the chair that you're sitting in could be the money in your bank account it could be the career that you've spent your life pursuing it could be a significant other whatever you are placing your faith and your hope in right now you need to understand that if it's not Jesus Christ it's ultimately going to fail you maybe you've already experienced this in this situation of coronavirus some of those things that your faith and trust was in have failed you maybe it was your sports team well they're not playing right now What's your faith and hope in today? You know, Jesus Christ is the only sure rock and foundation that you can place your faith and trust in. You need to make a decision today to trust Jesus Christ with your whole life. He is the rock that we build our lives on. You see, here's why Jesus is the only hope all time, every time, because he's already won the victory. Do you realize that? This isn't some wishful thinking hope where we kind of hope this happens in the future. The fact is, Jesus has already won the battle. He's already saved the day. Jesus defeated death. You see, each one of us has sinned. We're all in this same boat together. We've all made poor choices. We've all made mistakes. We've all done things that have hurt other people and hurt ourselves. And the Bible calls that sin. The Bible also says the punishment for sin is death. Now the only answer for that is the only one who has conquered death, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the only rock, the only hope, the only surety to the answer of this problem that we call death and sin. Let's look at another verse together. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 54. And it says this, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory through Jesus Christ. You can have victory. You know, victory isn't a vaccine. It's Jesus. You know, they can come up with a vaccine and it'll save you for some time until the next pandemic comes along or the next struggle, the next storm that we find ourselves in. But the fact is, Jesus saves you for all of eternity, past, present, and future in the blood of Christ. Jesus saves you for all time. You know, if this truth resonates with you today, if you're beginning to understand for the first time that there is life after death, and you can have the surety of a home in heaven with God the Father, your Creator, your Heavenly Father, through the blood of Jesus Christ, then today is the day to make a decision. You need to make a decision, and now is the best time to make that decision. And it's as easy as this. Just have a conversation with God. Talk to him. Just tell God that you admit that you are a sinner. You admit that you've messed up like I've messed up, like every other person on the planet has messed up. Man, we've all cheated. We've stolen. We've lied. We've broken God's law countless times. We've hurt other people. We've hurt ourselves. Admit that you are a sinner. And then believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He took your sin, your shame, your guilt, your mistakes, your mess ups, all the baggage that you have in this life, all the demons in your closet, your worst fears, he took them to the cross and he paid the price for your sin. But Jesus didn't just die some martyr's death and now he's dead. No, he rose again on the third day. And that's why we celebrate Easter Sunday, the fact that Jesus truly rose from the dead. If you believe that Jesus died for your sin to give you forgiveness with God the Father, and then you believe that he rose again to secure your new life in him and has given you abundant life, then you just need to call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's as easy as that. Just tell God. You admit that you're a sinner. You believe Jesus died and rose again for you. And you're calling on the name of God to be saved. And then can you do us this favor and do yourself this favor? Could you get in contact with us? We want to share this journey with you. We want to help you on this new journey with Jesus. We want to connect you with somebody who can walk those first steps of faith with you. So would you just go to our website, sharethejourney.ca, click on the Contact Us tab, and let us know. We want to celebrate with you. We want to be excited for you and stand with you and encourage you in this new journey with Jesus. And then as I close today, we're going to sing one final song. I just want to speak directly to our church family. And I want to read this final verse with you, for you, and specifically to you. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. Here's what it says. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let me dig through that a little bit. Therefore, Because of all of this evidence pointing to the resurrection, the fact that Jesus really rose from the dead, and the fact that we are victors through Christ because he gives us the victory, his victory over sin and death and hell and the devil. My beloved brothers, my church family, in the bonds and blood of Christ, be steadfast, be immovable. Cling to that chief cornerstone that the builders rejected, Jesus Christ. That stone that rolled down the mountain and crushed the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Cling to the stone that is Jesus Christ. Be steadfast, immovable. Don't let this storm, don't let this situation that is but for a moment, the Bible says, waver your faith or take you off course. It may take everything you have like Job, but you'll still have your faith. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know that the kingdom of God is advancing. You know that even today, God's kingdom is growing and advancing and conquering and being victorious. And the Bible says, the gates of hell cannot stand against it. Do you know that the devil and his demons and hell, they're on the defensive. You might feel like you're hiding at home trying to protect yourself, but the kingdom of God is advancing. We are on the offense and Satan is on the defense. And then the verse says, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Every time you minister every time you stand up for the name of Jesus every time you correct someone in love every time you encourage someone support someone every time you get groceries for your elderly neighbor every time you call somebody who's vulnerable who struggles with mental illness who is missing their loved ones who's having a hard time in this season every time you donate to the food bank every time that you support a cause that's fighting the coronavirus in the name of Jesus every time you give Give that gospel message to the people around you in word and in deed. You need to understand your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then I want to end with this. And this is going to sound a little bit harsh because it is. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you don't have the choice to succumb to a victim mentality because you are a victor In Jesus Christ. You don't get the choice to mope around the house or say, woe is me. Because through Jesus Christ, you are victorious. He's already won the battle. We know the end of the story. The tomb is empty. You can read it in John chapter 20. We know that we are victorious through Jesus Christ in the end. So we need to treat this day and all the days that are to come as victors through Christ Jesus. This storm has nothing on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want to leave you with that thought. We're about to sing one final song called Jesus Paid It All. And if you're realizing you need to make a decision to trust Jesus today and you haven't yet done that, We're going to give you some time. Think about the lyrics of this song. Think about the fact that Jesus paid everything on the cross for you. God loves you so much that he gave you his son to die and pay the punishment for your sin so that you can have everlasting life, a purpose, a hope, and a calling on this Easter Sunday. So we're going to sing together, but before we do that, I'd like to close in prayer. Father God, we just want to praise you and thank you for who you are today. Father, I pray for those who are skeptical out there today, who are coming up with all sorts of reasons and evidence against the resurrection as to why they don't have to believe it. And I would ask them, why not? What else are you going to put your hope, your faith, and your trust in today? What else is going to stand the test of time? People come and go, jobs come and go. Money comes and goes, sports teams come and go. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, I pray there be people right now making the decision to trust you as their Savior for the hope that they would have for eternity. God, we praise you for this Easter Sunday. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead and he is alive today. That he is seated at the right hand of the Father He's making intercession for us. He is our advocate. He covers with us with his banner of love. We are washed white as snow because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are given new life because of his resurrection. God, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: I hear the Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all and all cause Jesus Oh.